Welcome to the Hailka Coach Podcast. We're going to go deep. We're going to go heavy on subjects like awareness, energy, awakening to higher states of consciousness, all for the purpose of walking us through our journey from awareness to enlightenment, one moment at a time. You are no longer alone on this journey. I will be with you every step of the way. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? You ready to roll? Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. so. Let's do I'm it. I'm looking at a picture right now <laughs> and you look ready to go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's do it. I love that laugh. All right. Today on, oh, thanks. Today on the Hey Local Podcast, I am honored uh, to be present with I Am My Best. Uh, she's somebody that I follow on Twitter. I love the words she speaks each day. I, I look for what she's saying. One of the most compassionate souls that I found in spiritual Twitter, definitely. I, I resonate pretty highly with her messages. A lot of her messages talk about her, her being an empath and me being an empath. That really tickles something inside of me. And I go and just gravitate towards that material and, and, and read all I can to learn about what being an empath is. So part of my talk today, I'll talk to I am my best about what it's like to be an empath, what is an empath, and some certain things that she'd like to share about that. And then what I'll do is I'll jump into I am my best journey, what things have been like for I am my best from the point where she had some level of awareness of things are different to the point where she now is uh, coming from her space where she's able to actually take some of the lessons she's learned and and give these to people so freely. It's just it's just wonderful to read your words. I am my best. Welcome to the Aoka Coast podcast. Oh, I am beyond humbled. Uh, thank you, Michael. And I really appreciate being here and being able to chat with you. So tell me a little bit about I Am My Best. You have a podcast. I had mentioned it earlier uh, in, the, in the introduction. And tell me a little bit about what that is and, and what kind of message you send and why you do it. Okay. Uh, the podcast started very organically. I knew that I wanted to get my voice out in a more literal way. And I didn't know when or how I was going to do that. But it's been in progress inside of me to manifest outside of me for a long time. And then it just happened. I Someone showed me how to use one of the apps to create it. And I did a little tutorial myself. And it spawned. And the reason I wanted to do it was to put out more of the messaging and have longer conversations just on my own with any listeners or in interviews uh, around things that are important, I think, at the deepest level of all of us. And I wanted to start with my first series of episodes around, as you call it, the spiritual Twitter elements and the things that so many of us who have come together on Twitter talk about, care about, and are working in supporting others about. And so there it came. And it's uh, no looking back. Yeah, I love the way you say that, no looking back. And really, 
it's if you just take a quick peek back you're like wow how did that happen and how did it happen so fast right <laughs> it's almost like we weren't in control of it at the end of the day <laughs> it's like but that's the way it should be Quite right true. it just flows out and you're like well why not try it and if it doesn't resonate maybe yeah. that's not what it meant to be but i like what you said uh nile if you don't mind me calling you nile such a beautiful name not at all so Thank you're welcome you. so when you talk about having this different modality, having to be able to put your voice out there, in addition to the text messages on Twitter, I, I can really resonate with that. It's, I see, you know, you try so hard and the limited amount of characters and I can see and the struggle that I see some of your messages and you use every character and you're jamming as much of this message as in without trying to get it to go to multiple, you know, because we know that people just don't usually read on. They just need that quick message and go. So I love mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, you one of the reasons is that you want to use that media in your podcast to expand on that message. So thank you, because I think that yeah. added modality and, and just the sincerity in your voice and how it comes through it just has a it just resonates better than what it does within text. You know, we can, we can feel your heart come through as opposed to try interpreting it through letters. So it really is a good meeting for oh. you. So, so I'm glad you did. Thank and thank you, you for, for doing that. I mean, it's often a thankless job, but there is definitely for me. <laughs> so I talked about, I talked a little bit about your self-awareness podcast and it, and it really caught my attention bit about being an empath and you talk about inside that inside your self-awareness podcast you talk about frequencies and vibes and the guilt and shame buckets and how it changes your vibration you use a lot of references Mm -hmm. towards vibrations and you know although you you know you have really nice way of framing your language very eloquent the way you structure your words you also include in there some of the technical aspects of what's really happening and that's kind of what I really like to dive into because from a very young age and I didn't know and this is kind of like the whole point of my podcast is I realized that I was sensing frequencies I had no idea what it was when I was three four five years old and it confused me but I could sense the energies of those and I could feel their emotions very strongly and you know, that I felt mm-hmm. responsible for them, you know, that I, you know, they were mine, I, I owned them. And if somebody was sad, I was running over there trying to do whatever I could to help them. So, you know, that's mm-hmm. kind of an yeah. overspill of the empathy and a misunderstanding the center and the balance of the energy. But let's talk a little bit about what an empath is. You know, I, I, like I said, I, I didn't know. And I bet I went 40 years easy before I even had any inclination that this was something that others might have. You know, it's not that I felt like mm-hmm. I was totally alone and there weren't many others that this. I just had no idea what it was called. I had no idea what kind of books to go look for. I had nowhere to look for help. And really, mm-hmm. honestly, it wasn't until I saw a silly TV show called Charmed where the sister witches talk about their gifts and one of them is an empath. And I was like, wow, there's a name for that. So immediately I go to the books <laughs> and start reading and that cracked open a whole new. So, but, but others might not know 
right? And I, what I'd like mm-hmm. to do, if you could just touch at least in the first part of this, and then I for sure want to jump into your journey. And if you can find any natural point to segue from talking about what an empath is and however much detail you might want to go into, feel free to just segue whenever you want right into your journey. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this is a topic that I absolutely love. I have goosebumps hearing how you sort of discover the lingo through the show Charmed. That's so cool. (laughs) I love it. Um, I I don't know why, but I absolutely resonate with that. Um, Empathy is a huge, a huge topic. Uh, And to me, I tend to look at what empathy is from four different perspectives. I mean, there's, there's probably many, many more, but in the work that I do as an emotional intelligence coach, I look and assess people's level of empathy. And um, it's really about understanding and sometimes sharing the emotional understanding of others. But you can look at it from the perspective of being a, uh, a cognitive empath, where you understand it conceptually and you start to recognize people's emotions. And it's sort of a more useful perspective in the workplace, as an example, where it's all in their arena of mental concepts of people's emotions. Mm. And then there's a slightly more deep, deeper level of the emotional empath, where you, you feel the feelings and you can share them and you can understand them and you can take yourself out of your own personal paradigm and your own perspective to be able to look at things from the other person's or other people's perspectives. And then there's sort of the the next level of empath that takes the next step to try and help the person through their empathy skills. So it's sort of like the compassionate empath. But then there's the even deeper level of empathy, which I believe you and I both share, is that sort of Claire empath capability, where we sense the empathy, we sense the emotions of others, right down to our physical bodies, we sense what's going on in a room, and we feel those feelings. And it's something that I struggled with for a lot of years. Mm. I felt so much. I felt too much. And I did not know how to contain myself. I did not know how to stop wanting to help people and stop wanting to help people help themselves. And in some cases and in some ways, it even became, and it can become toxic. And some people would argue, you know, that's over-empathizing. And and you can, we, in, in, Emotional intelligence coaching, we call it uh, an overused strength. Mm -hmm. It's just one of the qualities that we measure in in an assessment tool that I use. And we can overdo it. Not everybody agrees with that, but that's what I have landed on. And that is, um, there was someone that left a comment on my feed the other day regarding a tweet that I made about codependency. And I'm trying to remember what it said, but it was something like, their, one of their favorite definitions of codependency is that I help you more than you help yourself mm. kind of thing um, to the extent of potential self-harm or self-burnout. And um, that might, uh, that's a debatable uh, topic. <laughs> Sometimes we need to help others, you know, as parents or as caregivers, 
But if we're overextending, we're over empathizing. Yeah. So I that's like kind of in a that. nutshell, I think. Because you're really talking about balance, right? And I, you know, and I know where the touchy subjects are, where people, the over-emotors and the under-emotors and what that means. But really, it's about keeping the center of balance. And if you're helping others more than you're helping yourself, quite simply, if you want to just find the, the simplest formula, then whatever pattern within you is that's causing that should probably be addressed. That's, I think that's more of the point. I mean, it's not that mm-hmm. helping people and showing emotional support to people is wrong, but if you're doing it at the cost of your own emotional health, then, then it should be looked at. And I think mm-hmm. that's the consideration. Absolutely. So, so I, you know, you talk about your gifts and thank you for the clarity around some of that and being able to, I'm not really big on labels. You know, I kind of went through life not seeing things through the filter of the way people tried to define it for me because I, mm-hmm. I just always saw things as a system more than I saw things as a breakdown of individual components of things they were trying to tell me that it was. Like this mm-hmm. math structure is the definition of everything. It's like, well, wait a minute. That's a self-contained unit of reduction. You're telling me that defines everything? How can that be? And I, you know, and at eight, that's probably not an appropriate thing to say to a teacher. Of course, I didn't have the ability (laughs) to cognitively say that. There was just a confusion at that age. Mm -hmm. And that's what I talk about, that not knowing what's going on within me. Like my mother, for example, I sensed that she had the same ability to get in touch with those higher vibrational states. And know, Niall, that I was very careful with my word choice there because I think sometimes we get in the habit of saying something over there is happening when really I, like, I, I can say that I'm able to get to these high emotional states and it allows me to consider myself an empath. Therefore, there's a label. The reason I mm-hmm. like to stay away from labels is because that kind of presumes that not everybody can get there. And I don't like to believe that. I think that everybody has this ability to be able to go with them, find their inner vibration, and then increase that through proper energy work and shadow work and clearance and like the work that you do. You know, they can DM I am my best and say, how do you know, what's the path through this? How do you know, what is the way forward? How do I get myself to increase my vibrations by shedding some of the lower vibrational elements. So thank you. I Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that because that really helps kind of sum up. I'm going to segue now to your journey and just say, how did you figure all that out? And what did that look like in (laughs) your life? Because holy smokes, I, it was a nightmare for me. I learned every (laughs) single thing the hard way. My mother will tell you that. (laughs) My mom did exactly the same. She she has said, "Wow, you have been through so much." And in past podcasts, I've I've mentioned this that I I feel I've lived a thousand mm. lives. I've just been through so much, and so much of it, yes, through struggles and the hard way for sure. I can just so relate, Michael. <laughs> um, so, in terms of my journey and where I saw myself begin noticing that I see things a little bit perhaps differently than some, or perhaps I see things a little bit deeper than my immediate family members and close friends, was in grade six. In grade six science class, we were learning about 
the basic five senses. And so what you can see here, taste, smell, and touch. And I remember my science teacher, Mr. Kamenda, was giving us different questions. And then we would put our hand up and answer what sense we thought that particular uh, question pertained to. And when it came to a song, listening, or pardon me, how did he ask it? He said, so how would you classify a song in terms of senses? And I put my hand up and I said, feeling. Mm. And everybody looked at me like I had just sniffed a marker <laughs> from my desk. And that's funny. <laughs> huh? And he, of course, said, <laughs> touch. <laughs> because I, I knew, as you probably do, and you sent me a wonderful song in the DM. Mm. Thank you so much for that. I got goosebumps. Oh, yeah. I got goosebumps from hearing that song and so many others. So it's a sense of feeling for me. But it's well beyond that. Uh, and so, of course, the answer in science class is, of course, hearing. <laughs> and so I knew in my head, no, he's mm. wrong. <laughs> and so I think that started a little inspiration in my mind that, okay, I, I, need to, uh, I, I need to take a look at how I see the world at the young age of whatever it was, uh, 10. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right? That's a lot to handle so, at 10 years old. So yeah, what was it, your, it now when you think about, you you realize, so it sounds from the question that you had for Mr. Commenda that your response to him didn't just come from off the cuff. It seems from the way you, you indicated that, that, you had already had some sense up to that point that you were you were having you you may possibly have been seeing things or feeling things differently than others and mm -hmm. it seems by the response that you got from the rest of the class and i laugh because i giggle at that because we're, what happens is you know we'll say things that cross over from the normal vernacular of the words that people normally use to talk in a sense of how I feel or how you may feel. And it gets into those modalities of like, oh, I, I you know, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying, but it really feels like you're really trying to attack me here. And they're like, oh, you know, those words just resonate differently. Um, mm -hmm. So I love that. So, so you're in sixth grade, you're realizing you think differently. Where does it go from there? How do you now go through, how do you now wake up each day knowing things are different and what do you what do you do with all that well I think I remained reasonably unaware for quite a while from that point onward in terms of my capabilities and my Claire senses the the senses beyond the basic five mm -hmm. only because I grew up with a military dad who was incredibly strict and he suppressed our any any emotional expressions he forbid me to cry as I was growing up he did not want to see it he did not want to hear it so I could not do it mm. and so any sort of overt as people might define negative expressions of emotions uh, he forbid and so and even any 
extreme version of expression of joy he didn't really like to hear. And I love my father. He's still alive and he is very dear to me. And I know he did his best, yeah. but he really had discomfort and a lack of ability to cope with emotional expressions, which I think came with the territory for him and with his upbringing and so many factors. So, sure. It's never so I think, fault. I mean, just like it's not our fault, well, but we're screwing up our kids. I laugh. <laughs> but no, but no, really. I mean, I, I'm, I raised five and now I'm raising a couple of grandkids. And had I known now, or had I known then what I know now about raising children, it would have been totally different. And it was no different than our yeah. parents. So we can't, we can't, yeah. you know, we can't judge them or, or be mean to them for that because they they're giving us what they were given. And I, and, and I think both of us on the call mm -hmm. and many of us realize that. So I, 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 but I, mm -hmm. I, and I, I wanted to preamble that too, because especially for, for parents listening that realize that they may have been oppressive to their kids and didn't realize that it, it isn't your fault. It's what you learned. It's what others had done to you and had done to them. So you talk about a military dad and my dad mm -hmm. was Navy, and that marriage lasted till I was five. And then my stepdad was Army. So I know military dads. And mm -hmm. although my mom leaned on the empath side and gave that mm -hmm. free space up until around the time I was 12 or so to just openly just express my emotions and you know, there was no boys don't cry. You know, there was none of that. I mean, my mom, you cried. No. She would come over and hug you and and talk to you about what's wrong and, and work through the emotions with me, you know, to allow that to happen. That doesn't mean that it always worked and her advice wasn't always right, but I'm sure she was doing her best, you know. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I, but and, by the time, yeah. go ahead, please we'll talk about that. So... I mean, and part of my, my company name came from the fact that I do believe that for the most part, I wouldn't say it entirely across the board, but I do believe we are all, generally speaking, doing our best in each moment that is before us. I don't think that most people are doing anything less. And sometimes your best looks terrible, but you know, it's really a very person specific best. And I do believe my dad did his best. Mm -hmm. And I had a similar mother who had a more free spirit who allowed for more from me than my father. And, and she did her best too, to, to mediate things. Mm -hmm. But it was, and interestingly about my dad, as I got older, I started to see that he was suppressing his Claire powers and he was suppressing his emotional expressions uh, because that's what he learned. And that's, he, he closed down in order to self-preserve and little did he, or does he know that this attempt to self-preserve actually shuts down your heart and closes off yeah. the opportunity to really open up and be the human the, and thrive to be who you really can be. So to me, um, he absolutely did his best. So moving forward, I would say the next opening for me would have happened at the age of 17. I chose to move out. I started my undergrad degree and I 
experienced absolutely almost everything a person can experience in <laughs> the years to follow <laughs> in terms of relationships and, and experimenting with things and trying things. And I, um, I lived a very full life. And from that point onward, I, I started to decide I really resonated with Madonna's Express Yourself song. Mm. And, you know, I, I really started to open up who I was and just made decisions for myself and started to find who who's inside of me and, and what it all means and what I can do. And, and then I moved from the prairies or the Midwest, as you call it in the U.S., um, to the West Coast to Vancouver in 1992 and I started to see an even different world and I started to experience a lot of different things um, but I think the biggest change the biggest catalyst probably started in 1995 that was the year that I, I became a personal trainer uh, I started working with some really incredible clients uh, most of which were 70 plus years of age. Mm. And one of them was a beautiful man who had worked with and uh, was in the same social circles as people like Joseph Campbell and Ram Dass. And he did all kinds of human potential projects and all kinds of incredible things with the modern philosophers of our day and he started to impart the ideas about human potential onto me. And at the same time that I was doing that job, I was also contracted to hire people to teach programs for alternative health in the night school programs in our city. And when I did that, I got to meet hundreds and hundreds of incredible people who taught everything from homeopathy, naturopathy, um, chiropractic at that time was considered alternative, perhaps it yeah. still is to some, yeah, um, different types of massage, uh, things called harmonics and music bowls and chakras mm -hmm. and meditation and you know, the things that we learned from back in those days that Deepak Chopra was coming out with more and more. And it was so eye-opening and heart-expanding. And I decided to take all of their courses in <laughs> as well so that I could really learn. <laughs> and I did have every single person, every single person that I interviewed, I had every single one of them make sure I want you to teach me something right here and now in this interview so that I can see your teaching style and that I can understand the value Hardcore. of what you're proposing to teach. <laughs> I am not giving myself to just anybody. <laughs> I love it. Went right after it. it. It was very, very cool. And so around that time as well, I had... Um, gotten quite sick. And I had been uh, in an abusive relationship mm. um, where I, I really got sick from this guy. And it was a very bad situation. And I had just developed a relationship with a new cousin that I didn't know I had. Apparently, I've got at least 100 extended family members on either side of my parents' families um, wow. living here in Vancouver. <laughs> and I had no idea. I really had no idea. Amazing. So I started to meet I started to meet more people and this one particular cousin introduced me to the work of Shirley MacLaine. I believe she was doing 
meditation. She she's an actor, and she right. was teaching people on some video back then. It was VHS tapes, and so my cousin brought over this VHS tape of Shirley MacLaine and her teacher doing meditation and teaching the basics of chakras. And I watched that, and I instantly resonated with that, mm. and I instantly knew because I could understand and feel the colors associated with each chakra, the sounds, the, the notes, the textures, the everything, all of the things that are associated with each of the chakras. And I could actually feel that energy in each of the, uh, at each of the points in the physical body that were associated with all of the different areas. And I needed to do some serious healing. And so I started working with that in addition to medical interventions to help me heal. But sure. that's what really helped me heal my heart. And it was, it was absolutely a, a pivotal point in my life where I was able to start to learn about energy. And so I didn't, I didn't actively do much more after I felt like I had healed, hmm. but I was working constantly with the body. I was teaching aerobics classes and uh, aquafit and marathon training. And I was so physically active that I think I was just constantly using and moving my energy, but I kind of blocked out the energetic assistance. That said, I continued on with chakra meditation and, and I have, uh, I continued on and carried on with that and absolutely value what that has done for me and what it has allowed me to actually give to others. Hmm. But my focus, I think, carried on more in the physical realm in terms of the ways that we can heal ourselves physically. So through exercise and movement and nutrition and, and as much natural healing as we can do. Well, let me, I want to jump back on something real quick. So mm -hmm. you talked about, your military dad and the suppressed state, right? <clears throat> and I presume that was throughout the childhood. And you, mm -hmm. like I, had some balance from your mother to be there for you. Mm -hmm. When you left that, so I kind of look at that just to use a visual. Like your dad had a pendulum swing this way, no emotion. So that's a snapshot of your dad. Your mom was kind of offsetting that. So she swung the other way to kind of provide you a balance. So and you take this, these two patterns that you see, this yin and yang of your parents, one pendulum swinging one way and then the other. You then at 17 venture out on your own. And that's very brave. I did it when I was 18. I understand what what that was for you, especially as an empath, to step out away from what you knew. It's, that was extremely yeah. brave of you. Um, Thank you. Without attachment and, you know, just totally going and living the life, as you mentioned. So as you, <laughs> as you step from that, from that house, and you talked earlier about, you know, during class, and I think it was biology where they were, uh, Mr. Commando asked you the question and you came up with feeling. I have, mine was 10th grade where I was, another awakening happened in 10th grade where I was looking at just some ridiculous biology slide on the screen and then the next one flipped up and it was a DNA strand. And it just, I mean, it said 
that's you right there. You're looking at you. Pay attention. It woke me up. You know, I, I had smoked some weed prior to class, and I was in there half paying attention in ridiculous biology. But when I saw that DNA strand, mm-hmm. my entire system lit up. So I knew something was different at that moment. So mm-hmm. when you, I kind of, just to use that analogy, when you exit the home at 17 and you kind of flip that DNA strand, if you will, you now open yourself up to live your life, if you will. What were mm-hmm. the challenges? I mean, I'm sure there was still some of those <laughs> behaviors from, mm-hmm. you know, my dad allows this, doesn't allow this. My mom allows this and compensates for that. How did that affect that now new Nile in this new space? How did you, was it easy to find balance in that when you're now on your own? Well, yes and no. I think that my balance is that, despite my open-mindedness and my sort of big energy and my open heart, I have always stayed grounded Mm. and I know that I'm a good person. I know I can continue. I have this very deep inside of me, this optimism that I'm just going to continue to help people. I'm going to continue to do good in the world and I'm going to make mistakes and it's not always going to look like I'm helping people. But I I just knew that there's something keeping me very grounded. I wasn't raised in a religious house. Uh, We were, I was, I was raised to be Christian and I was baptized, but it wasn't overly religious. I wasn't required to go to church. Mm. So I wasn't so much grounded in a religion, but I was grounded spiritually, I would say. I was grounded energetically. But it was very, very challenging because I was, I was a young, fit girl who was getting offers to do modeling, and men were coming after me on a very regular mm-hmm. basis. And, and so I, I had a, a lot of... Um, learning to do around boundaries. I did not have boundaries. I did not, uh, I did not know what to do about them. When prior to moving out, I, I really kept myself quite small. I Mm. really didn't, didn't show the world who I was. I didn't speak up much. I was very quiet and studious. I was an A plus student. I was writing my boyfriend at the times, you know, reports and assignments and really, really, I was almost like a kept woman by him. And so me moving out really coincided with breaking up with him and breaking up with who I was, which was being small. And and then I really expanded. So I brought on a lot of of bad energy, a lot of good energy, a lot of men, (laughs) a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. And I was not the instigator of any of it, actually, when I think back. But it's it. So that part was incredibly hard. And it wasn't until much, much later that I learned probably about seven years ago that I learned about sociopathy and some of these sort of clinical conditions that are discussed. And again, I'm with you. I'm not a big fan of labels. And in fact, I've just drafted a a podcast about that very topic. Careful. That I'll be launching soon. I'm looking forward to <laughs> Thank it. you. Thank you. But the the topic of sociopathy and, and narcissistic personality traits and uh, some of the ego mindsets, if you will, 
became something that I discovered and realized that I was surrounded by people <laughs> with incredibly extreme ego mindsets oh, yeah. that were, and the dynamics between us were enormously unhealthy and, and enormously suppressing for me and for, for growth unless they were okay with it. And that included, that included love relationships, that included uh, friendships. And so I started to really dive a little bit deeper into that kind of work at that point. You know, I love the way you phrased that you were small when you left the house. You know, you were, you know, and, it, and, and, I, and I don't mean to presume this, but having the military oppressive no emotions shrinks energy. I mean, it takes, you know, a... Mm -hmm somebody you know vibrating in joy and in a confined confined environment it makes them you know very constrained and and i'm sure you had to dial it back which makes you very small mm -hmm. <clears throat> so when you step out and you were realizing even before because of what you said about the boyfriend that you felt like you were, uh, kept women a woman and because of what you were allowing right i mean because you were allowing this man to tell you to do his homework or you were volunteering to do it because you oversharing or whatever it was you felt like mm -hmm. you were so when I think about when you say that you were small I think about the times when I've gotten small and I've become prey for the big ones it's like they can see mm -hmm. it and it's because we're vibrating small and they're big big vibrations it's like oh there's a yin and yang and they just kind of attract and, I, and I'll even step a little bit further and to say some of those bigs, like you said, the labels and all that yucky stuff will we'll listen on your podcast, how you break those down, you know, the narcissists and all who are doing it with awareness, you know, the ones that see the ones that are small and see the frightened child or the child that is hidden or the child that was oppressed by a military dad, although it's subtle when you're small, mm -hmm. it's obvious, especially to predators. So and when you started shedding that, and this is what, you know, the classic, that time at college, right, where you just like, you just broke out and you <laughs> said, forget this being small, I'm going to go big, right? Then it sounds like as you're going through this journey that like, okay, I'm big, but wait a minute, I'm kind of a little bit too big and I'm out of control a bit. And then it sounded like you started mm -hmm. reeling some of that back in. What were some of the practices and your mindsets that you were going through during the realization of, holy shit, I think I may be a little bit out of control and I may need to reel this back in? Well, I started to write a book about it. Mm. Uh, and and uh, in my nature, I am uh, to, at the extreme end of being a researcher. So I dove deep into you know, buying every book that talked about <laughs> yeah. these kinds of mindsets and reading everything and going into the scientific research to validate what I'm reading. And mm. I was, I was obsessed with, with this. Unfortunately, at the beginning of 2015, my son had some health issues. So mm. I needed to halt all of that, but it didn't stop me. Um, we've managed our way through that and, and he's just fine. Thank goodness. But, um, yeah, but, um, I 
so I guess first and foremost, I started researching the topics and really starting to understand it. And then I started to take a look at myself and how I might have contributed to mm. some of the dynamics between myself and those in my life who seemed problematic. And one of the friends that I had was a 20-year-long friendship who I, you know, still to this day love dearly. I realized, okay, there are some serious traits here that are in that arena that have become toxic. And I feel a little bit like prey. I, mm. I didn't feel like a victim so much. I mean, maybe at the time, but upon reflection, it was just in perfect harmony, the way I was and, and the way that she was and the way that it all worked out. It, it was beautiful, but then it was also toxic. So I actually had to cut ties with some people. And another practice that I wasn't entirely comfortable with, but I got a little bit used to, mm -hmm. was shedding friends. Yeah. And I realized I have to really take space. And I think I got tested over and over and over again in my life. I had to literally take complete space and go no contact. And again, in 2015, there was someone who uh, lived in our neighborhood who was constantly crossing boundaries and their family was constantly crossing boundaries. And I, I absolutely couldn't believe the things that were happening without going into details. Mm -hmm. So I had to, I had to up my boundaries. And, and that's when I really started to do more concerted boundary work and, and write about it and teach about it. Because at that point, I was also teaching other educators and coaches and human resource personnel and, and people like that about people and about best practices and about leadership and about teaching other people. And there is energy between these dynamics and you have to be so careful with your boundaries. So I think the boundary work was a big practice for me as well. And that's become my most important practice outside of what I just tweeted today about listening to your body. I like the way you word that because you make it about healthy boundaries and it can be as simple as that, right? Just call it mm -hmm. that. It's healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. Now the mechanics of it are exactly what you said. You know, you have to look at this boyfriend that you have or this girlfriend that you have and you have to say, wait a minute, is this toxic? Do I walk away after an exchange with some yuckiness? Do I tend to feel like I'm giving too much regularly or are they too demanding of my time and I'm constantly being taken up by them? You know, the energy vampires, you know, as some like to label them mm -hmm. and just, you know, you're constantly just on the hook with them to feed them information of whatever sort they're looking for. Here's what's happening to me. Tell me what I should do. And it's all one way. And then after so long, it's like, oh, wait a minute, this is all just draining me dry. Mm -hmm. So when mm -hmm. you talk about the healthy boundaries, it's really about undoing some of those patterns, right? That, for example, if you go back to where you had to close yourself down not to show emotion, but then later when you learn to expand and show emotion, you realize that you can go too far with that. And then you pulled it back in and found more balance. So it's really mm -hmm. about healthy boundaries, not only with others, but within yourself as well? Yes, and it's also extraordinarily nuanced. Mm -hmm. 
in every single situation and with every single person and it can change from moment to moment. So it's, it's a very nuanced topic and it's a very nuanced practice. Right. And it's an important one. It's an important one, especially for empaths to understand that sometimes it's, it's just a certain time frame that you need to have these boundaries and then you can change, change it up. It's, it's not a solid line. It's not a wall. Right. A boundary is, is a practice that's movable and must always be, you must always be mindful about it too. Yeah, that's good. And I, you know, I, I do business coaching as my paying job. <laughs> and mm-hmm. part of it is nothing survives without working agreements. You have to have working agreements, which is just Absolutely. a loose piece of paper that says, here's how we're going to get along. And really, you talk <laughs> about them being dynamic, right? You talk about, you know, you're, this isn't a, you don't put five bullet points in hand at somebody say, here are my healthy boundaries, violate these, we're through. You know, they change, you know, because we change. Mm-hmm. And although we're accepting of a certain behavior of somebody today, because that's where we are today, if it gets to the point where you're not feeling okay with the boundaries you have with somebody, maybe they're changing a little bit. And, you know, the dynamic of the alchemy, if you will, of both of your energy just doesn't feel right. Have the conversation, you know, don't, mm-hmm. don't just sit on it and, because what you know, I don't know, maybe you know more than I do. When you sit on that and you're uncomfortable in a relationship, you talk about the energy. And I heard in one of your posts about what that does to somebody physiologically. What is what does that do when you don't like enforce a healthy boundary, for lack of a better way of wording it? Hmm. Yeah, you absolutely uh, have to revisit these things with another person. I mean, you can have your own boundaries around what you will say yes and no to. And that's, that's a conversation and an agreement with yourself. But when it's with another person, I believe in collaborative boundaries that, uh, or as you call them agreements, which I, I wholeheartedly agree with that and, and use and, and help people create as well is, is collaborative agreements. But at the onset, they're just a concept. And so mm. when you put them into practice, that's when you start to see whether or not they're going to work and what facets of them will work and what facets won't work and how you can readjust. So, but there's also nuances with the person that you're creating the agreements with and, and the level of depth that you can go to with that other person. If you're an empath and perhaps they're a little bit less inclined as an empath, or perhaps they're just more of a, a cognitive empath and not so much, uh, they don't go as deep, so they might not understand things at your level. So there's, there's all kinds of communication Mm -hmm. issues that can come up in these kinds of conversations. Yeah. It's It's, all very, there's a lot of work. Yeah. I think Mm -hmm. we should just jump back and just call it healthy boundaries (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because really why overcomplicate it? Right. I mean, we can go in, in, in part of the podcast is to, go into the mechanics because really that's the questions that I get, you know, and I was explaining that to inner practitioner Mm -hmm. that I can put out these words, but I say to them, the first thing I'm getting back is how, 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 like I post something about shadow work and I get 15 people DMing me. I need this. What is this? (laughs) You know, can you please? So I, you know, I write a thread, you know, and try to explain it a little bit more thoroughly. At least I can get, they can get chew on something and like you were saying like your deep research now if they're as hungry as i was i went through like i think my 
my audible account was like 44 books last year or something just because i was like <laughs> you know literally always with the headphones on trying to just work through mm-hmm. some things so to speak so we're mm-hmm. coming up on the hour nile and i and i want to open up the floor for you if you look at your journey your journey from awareness and your eventuality of enlightenment, you know, I don't proclaim to ever be enlightened, but, but definitely that's what we're striving for, right? Is to ultimately realize all that we possibly can understand our impact on those around us and vice versa. So in Mm -hmm. summary of your journey, if you were to like encapsulate something that you would let people to carry away from your journey, what would that be? That's a very thoughtful question. I think there's a few things that I think are most important for people to consider. And it all starts with self-awareness. I think the more self-aware we are about our blind spots and the more willing we are to be vulnerable with at least ourselves and hopefully someone else, at least one other person, that helps us see ourselves. Mm. We, can, we can get the most sense of ourselves from ourselves, I believe, if we take the time and slow down and listen to our body and feel what we feel. And I think these are the most important things to do because we're living in a very fast-paced society. We're living in a very busy world. Our environments are, are disruptive and our environments are layered with so much. The, the Wi-Fi in and of itself disrupts our nervous system mm. to some extent. The electricity, the EMFs, let alone the physical environment that we can, can see and smell and touch. So I think The most important thing, it all starts with self-awareness and how you do that is by slowing down and pausing and listening to your body and feeling what you feel. Because until you do that, you're not getting as full of a sense of anything, Mm -hmm. of yourself, of the world around you, of your capabilities, of what we're here to do, uh, until you start to really seek inside what's going on. Who am I? Who am I? Well, that is, I am my best. <laughs> That's, and I'll and I'll tell you that was that was absolutely beautiful. Uh, it is about self awareness. Oh. I couldn't agree more. And, <laughs> and really, because we we all we all talk about this. That it starts with you. It starts with you. But it really is about you. And it's about what makes you happy. And to go mm-hmm. inside and to find that happiness within, and then try to foster that. At least that's well, yeah, because me. me too. And and what I realized in in my path, my calling is to help people help themselves mm-hmm. and help people thrive and rise and shine. And it's very very hard to do that if you're not already doing that. So to you know to pour from an empty cup is is a temporary fix. It's it's not the way for me I have found through too many experiences of burnout and watching too many people around me do the same. You've got to start with filling yourself up so that you can serve as, as many in, in as many ways as you can or at, to the extent that you can. 
without burning yourself out. Without burning yourself out. I, I couldn't think of anything better to leave this on, Niall. And I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time with me today and have this conversation, sharing your journey, sharing your heart, sharing your compassion. It, it actually fully came through to me and I could feel you. I could feel that you were here and I appreciate you for that. Oh, thank you, Michael. I appreciate this opportunity so much. And I look forward to being on the other end to be able to interview you. Mm. And I really, really enjoyed this so much. Thank you. You're welcome. My heart is full. All right. Have a good day now. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye.